0: Good morning. Maybe you've heard the story before of the uh, country pastor who was trying to sell his mule. And uh, he was looking all over the place for someone to buy this mule and finally a member of his congregation came and the pastor said, "You know, this mule because, you know, I was trained by me, this mule only responds to what I've taught it. And to make this mule go, you have to say praise the Lord." And to make this mule stop, you have to say, Amen. And the church member got up on the mule. He said, I think I can figure that out. And So the man said, praise the Lord. And off that mule shot like a rocket. And it caught the man off guard and as the mule was racing forward, it was heading towards a cliff and the man forgot what it was he was supposed to say to make the mule stop. And he was saying, whoa, whoa, stop mule, stop mule. And finally at the last minute, he remembered, he said, amen. And that mule came to a stop just right on the edge of that cliff. And as that man was looking over the cliff, he said, oh, praise the Lord. (laughs) That was the last time they ever saw that man or that mule again. I used that story this morning to start to say this to you. Words are important. The words we speak, especially the words we speak in church, are very important. We have already sang a number of words this morning, spoken a number of words this morning. The question I want to ask you is, did you mean it? Did you mean what you said? Those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now i am found, was blind, but now I see. You mouth those words, did you mean it? Did you mean it in your heart? We're continuing on with our series this morning, What is the Church? Getting back to the basics. Over the next four weeks, we are going to look at the four priorities of the church the four reasons the church exists and I want us to do something a little bit different this morning because I really want you to get a hold of this I'm just going to give you what's happening over the next four weeks and I'm going to want you to repeat those after me just to make sure that it gets into you the church exists to say after me exalt God God. embrace one another equip for service extend the kingdom so let's do that one more time the church exists to exalt god embrace one another equip for service and extend the kingdom We're going to be going back and we're going to be doing that over and over again in the next couple of weeks. But this week, we're going to be starting off with the first one. The church exists to exalt God. Where do we get these four purposes, these four priorities from? They came from the two great statements. The great commandment and the great commission. And today we start with the great commandment. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38. One day while Jesus was out with His disciples, some teachers of the law came up to Him and asked Him the question, Teacher, which is the greatest of the commandments? How does Jesus reply? Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first... And the greatest commandment. The first and the greatest commandment. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is this, quite simply. If you get nothing else right, remember this. If you don't get anything else right, if there's nothing else in the Bible you know or you memorize or you understand, you must get this. The very first priority, the very first thing is to love God with your heart, with your mind, and also with your strength. Loving God is priority. And that's what worship is. Worship is simply loving God. A few weeks ago we talked about that God created us to love us. That we were created as people out of the overflow of God's love. And our primary purpose in life, our primary mission in life, according to this, is to learn to love God back. That's what life is about. Life is simply about learning to love God back. Many people today misunderstand what worship is. They think worship is something you do. You go to church and you stand up and you sing a song or you take communion or you say a prayer and somehow that's worship. But I want to say to you that that is not, in its essence, what worship is about. Worship is simply learning to love God back. And that isn't just something that happens in church. That is something that... We lead lives of worship every moment of every day. What is the essence of worship? You see the essence of worship in Romans 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The key word is offer. Worship is all about offering. Offering yourself to God. Why do we offer ourselves to God? Well, it says here, in view of God's mercies. In other words, we love God because God first loved us. Worship flows out of an understanding of what God has done for us. It says here, why we should worship. You know, it says that We offer ourselves, and that is our spiritual act of worship. In the NIV version, this is kind of confusing. Spiritual act of worship. What does that mean? Well, in the original language, the word used here for spiritual is logikos, from which we get the word logical. In other words, worship is the logical response to God's love. It makes sense. It makes sense to come and to worship God because of all that God has done for us. So how do you love God? With your heart, with your mind, with your strength. How do you do that? God wants to love Him thoughtfully with our minds. He wants us to love Him passionately with our heart and our soul. And He wants us to love Him practically with our strength. God created you, God owns everything in the entire universe, but there are three things that God does not own. Three things that God does not own. Have you ever wanted to give someone a gift, but that person already had everything? You know, you, you think, oh, I'll buy the person a clock radio. No, they already have that. Maybe I'll buy the person this. No, they already have that. You know, what do you give a God who owns everything? God owns everything. In all creation, God owns everything. There are three things, though, that God doesn't have until you give them. God doesn't have your attention. He doesn't have your affection. And He doesn't have your abilities. Until you offer those to him. So how do we worship? Number one, we worship by focusing our attention on God. We worship by focusing our attention on God. Do you know one of the ways that we express love is by giving a person our attention, right? I mean, I get convicted of this because sometimes guys are very bad at this. Guys... Have your wives ever come home after getting their hair done and said, do you notice anything different? And you kind of look at them and think, oh, is that a different shirt? You know, not good, right? Guys, have you ever been sitting there watching the television and your wife comes walking in and asks you a question and without even your eyes leaving the television, you just answer them? And then they kind of walk off and, 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 and they're mad at you and you, and you wonder why? It's because they didn't want your answer. They wanted your attention. Because attention is an expression of love. And you know what? God, who loves us, has given His attention to us. He's shown us this. Psalm 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, You have searched me, and You know me. You know when I sit, and You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. In other words, God knows all everything there is to know about you and god's attention is on you 24 hours a day seven days a week every moment of every day god is focused on you isn't that an amazing thought every moment of every day god is focusing his attention on you you think how is that possible I mean, how many billions of people are there in the world today? I mean, God doesn't have the, you know, God can't focus on everybody at once. We think that because we're limited in our understanding of who God is. We think that God is somehow like us, that when God is saying hello to this person, he's ignoring this person. And I've heard people say silly things before like this. Oh, you know, I was going to pray, but I figure God has so much else on His mind. So many other people are praying. You know, He doesn't have time for me. That's not an accurate understanding of who God is. God is focused on every person, every moment of every day. Because He lives outside of time and of space. Because He's an infinite God. The question is, are you focused on Him? Are you focused on Him? Husbands, wives, do you give your spouse your attention? Probably at one time you did. Remember when you first fell in love and all you could think about was that person? It was like, you're going and you're doing this, but all you're doing is you're thinking about that person and you're doing this, but all you're doing is you're thinking about that person. It's like that person's Everything about them consumed you. Their face, the way they did things, their mannerisms. Everything about them consumes you, consumed you. Your attention was upon them. I heard a story of a woman who was in Kansas City and she went to get ice cream from a Baskin-Robbins. And she went walking into this ice cream store and she ordered her ice cream. But as she was standing there, a man came walking through the door and it was the actor Paul Newman. Paul Newman. He was in town filming a movie and he came walking into this ice cream store and the woman looked up and she looked into Paul Newman's big blue eyes and she just kind of went, oh. And she just couldn't, it was like she didn't, she didn't want to stare but she couldn't help herself. She kept looking at him and she wanted to turn away but she couldn't. She just kept staring and staring at his face and finally the man came with her ice cream and she took her ice cream and she gave her the money and, and she went walking out of the store. And when she got to her car, she went to put the keys in the car and she looked and she said, where's my ice cream? And she goes, oh, I forgot my ice cream inside. So she walks back inside and Paul Newman's walking out. And as he's walking out the door, he looks at her and he says, are you looking for your ice cream? And she says, uh, yes. And he says, you put it in your purse with your change. Now let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were so caught up, so fixated upon God that He simply occupied your entire attention? You didn't even know what you were doing. You were just so caught up with God that everything around you was quieted. You know, I know in this place that's hard to do. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, there are kids that are yelling and there are things that are happening and someone's shuffling their paper and our attention is diverted so easily. But you know what? Worship is learning how to focus. It's like driving a car. You don't simply hop into a car and, you know, point the car in the right direction and off you go. A car requires constant care if you take your 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 hands off the wheel even for a few moments what's that car gonna do that car is gonna go off the road a lot of kids today think oh you buy a camera all you have to do is point the camera and press a button and click and the pictures perfect that's called autofocus you know what back in the day there was no autofocus right if you had a camera, an SLR camera, it wasn't like you just take that camera and point and click. You had to pick up that camera and you had to look through the viewfinder and you had to manually focus in on the image. The human mind is auto is not autofocus. It's manual focus. You must choose to focus your attention upon God. Have you ever prayed on autopilot? You ever prayed on autopilot? You say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Steve? I mean this. You prayed, dear Jesus, thank you for this food, <laughs> amen. <laughs> and if someone were to ask you afterwards, what did you just pray, you would have no idea because you simply said the prayer you always pray. Sometimes we ask our kids to, to pray before bedtime, and they'll say, thank you, Jesus, for this food, Amen. No, 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 we're not praying. This isn't meal time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Amen. Because you know what? Autopilot. They just get in there and they get into autopilot mode. Okay, time to prayer? Autopilot. And sometimes people worship in autopilot. They come to church and they stand up and they just look at the words and, I love you, Lord. I lift my voice to worship you. My soul rejoices. And they're saying the words... But they're thinking about, where am I going to have lunch after church? And you know, I've got to go see this person after this. And you know what? There's something else I need to do this afternoon. That's autopilot. Martin Luther had a puppy. And that puppy, whenever they ate, would come. Maybe you have a dog like this. But whenever that, they would eat, that, that dog would come up. And that dog would sit there and look at him like this. And they put the fork in the meat and the dog would look. And as they raised the meat to the mouth, the dog would follow. And that dog was fixated. Nothing else existed for that dog except that little piece of meat. And Martin Luther once wrote, Oh, that I could pray the way this dog watches the meal. All his thoughts are concentrated on the piece of meat. Otherwise, he has no thought, wish, or hope. God wants our attention. How do we give our attention to God? One of the thir- first things you can do is to find a time every day where you can get alone, get secluded, get in a place where you're not distracted and spend some time with God. You say, Pastor Steve, you don't know my life. I am so busy. There are things around me all the time. I just, I just can't find a place like that. Do you know Susan, Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles Wesley... They had 18 children. Susanna Wesley lived in a two-bedroom home with 18 children. You know what Susanna Wesley would do for one hour every day? She would sit in her rocking chair. She would take her apron and she would put it up over her head. Boop! And then she was with God. And the kids knew when mom had her apron over her head, you don't bug her. (laughs) All right? She found time every day in a two-bedroom house with 18 children to spend time with God. If she could, so can you. The second thing you can do is develop a constant conversation with God where all through the day, you're just talking to Him and praying to Him. Set up little reminders all around your desk at work. Put Make your alarm beep every 30 minutes to remind you, oh, I, sh- I, should, I, should, be, I should be saying this, a little prayer to God. Whatever you do, develop as as that that daily time that daily walk with God focus your attention on God number 1 but number 2 quickly it's good to focus our attention on God A- attention is one expression of love but this passage goes on to say you know you should love God with not only your mind but also your heart and your soul worship is expressing our affection To God expressing our affection to God that means that worship engages our emotions and I know for some of us in here that is difficult because some of us when we were raised we were taught that church was a purely intellectual thing and it did not involve our emotions I know that that was true for me I don't know about you when you come to church You're to think about God, but you're not supposed to get excited. You're not supposed to get worked up. You're supposed to come, and you're supposed to sit, and you're supposed to soberly reflect on all God has done for you. And that's it. It doesn't engage your heart. I laugh. people who will go to a baseball game and they will laugh and they will yell and they will jump up and down because their favorite team is winning and yet then they come to church and they stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God of creation, hands of flung stars into space and they'll sit there expressionless. Worship should be emotional. I think, unfortunately, sometimes we have sacrificed joy on the altar of reverence. Sometimes we're so worried about coming before God and being reverent in His presence that we forget that God wants our joy, that God wants our heart, that God doesn't want duty. He doesn't want religious performance. He wants relationship. With us. In many religions of the world today, God is an angry tyrant to be avoided. Heard about the story of a, a young boy that went with his mother to church one day. And, you know, it was a kind of a very conservative church. And as they walked in, all the people were silently praying in the seas. And the mother and the son went in, and the mother got to the pew, and she went into the pew, and immediately she put her head down and began to pray. And the little boy put his head down too, and he was looking up. And finally, he whispered to his mom, Mommy, who are we hiding from? (laughs) The God we serve is a God that wants a relationship with us. He desires to know us. He wants to be loved. The book of Hosea is all about this. In the book of Hosea, the prophet Hosea is told to marry a, an adulterous woman named Gomer. And we maybe know that story that Gomer is unfaithful to Hosea and eventually she goes and because of her unfaithfulness, she gets herself sold into slavery. And Gomer goes and he redeems her. And you have this entire story. But the underlying message of Hosea is a very simple one. In Hosea 6.6, 6, God says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know Me. In Hosea 2.16, God says prophetically that someday we would no longer call Him Master, but that we would call Him Ish in the Hebrew, which means husband. Husband. God doesn't want us to call Him Master. God wants us to call Him Husband, the most intimate of terms. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Daddy, our Father. Sometimes we think that word, Abba, our Father who art in heaven. It's not. Abba simply means Daddy. God wants to have a close, personal relationship with us. He doesn't want our sacrifices. He wants our love. Imagine. I mean, just imagine. I've been married now for a few years. But imagine. If one Valentine's Day, I was to come home with flowers to my wife. And I was to walk up to her and give her the flowers and say, Point number one. It's Valentine's Day. Point number two. On Valentine's Day, you give flowers to your spouse. Point number three here you are. Do you think my wife would be overjoyed? Do you think that she would just say, Wow, thank you so much? Are you kidding? She would take those flowers and beat me to death with them. Because flowers aren't about duty. You don't buy flowers because you have to. You buy flowers because you want to. And the same thing is true of God. God doesn't want our duty. God wants our desire. He wants us to be passionate about Him. But we say, God, okay, it's Sunday. And we know what we do on Sundays. We get up, okay, got to go to church today. And you get dressed and you drive and you get at church and okay, that's well, another service, and you stand there and you sing, I love you, Lord, I lift my voice. That song comes up as a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. Did you get it? Is it pleasing? God doesn't want our duty. He wants our desire. He wants our love. We love because God first loved us, it says. The measure to which God has loved us is the measure to which we love God back. So how do you do that? How do you express your affection? Well, a good first way is just by saying thank you. Just by waking up every morning and saying to yourself, you know what, God? Thank you. Thank you that you've given me another day. Thank you, God, that you have given me breath in my lungs. Thank you, God, that, that you have, have given me another day to live. That you've put a roof over my head. That you've given me food to eat. Find something to be thankful about. All of us have something that we can be thankful about today. And Thanksgiving is a response. It's a, it leads us in to an understanding of what God has done for us. And one more word of encouragement. When you come to church on Sunday morning, don't just stand their mouth in the words. Can I encourage you? Think about the words. Think about what you're saying. If you don't mean it, then don't say it. And you know what? Another thing. I'll get myself in trouble for this, but there's, this is a community of grace, so it's okay. When you come to worship, I invite you, I welcome you to use this thing, this piece of body that God has given you, and you can actually move more than just your mouth. Alright? You see, sometimes our heart follows our hands. Sometimes one of the best things we can do to express our love for God and our affection to God is simply by doing something different. Simply by closing your eyes. Simply by maybe even lifting a hand. I was raised in a Baptist church. I tell you, lifting my hands is like lifting 50 pound weights that are attached to my limbs. It's hard to this day because of my upbringing. But you know what? Move yourself. Move yourself. And maybe your heart will be moved as well. We express God with our affection. We express God with our attention. But lastly, we express our love for God. We worship God with our abilities. Yeah, it's nice to say it. It's nice to say it. To think it. To show it. But sometimes, you know, if, if you go to your wife and you just say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and you follow her around all day, I love you, I love you, I love you, pretty soon she's going to say, take out the garbage. Right? Because it's nice to hear it. It's nice, to, but, but, you know, there are times when the rubber meets the road. There are times when you have to actually get up and you have to do something about what you've said. Love requires Action. It requires action. Remember the, the movie My Fair Lady, Eliza Doolittle? Says, words, words, words. I am sick of words. Show me. And sometimes too, God says, You say you love me, show me. Show me. Do something. Colossians three twenty three says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord. And not for men. I know what some of you may be thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, if loving God is our ultimate purpose, then you know what I should do? I should quit my job and I should become a pastor. I should spend 24 hours a day, 7 days a week in a church. I should join a monastery or a convent or or all these different things. People over the years have gotten confused by that. Oh, if loving God is, is the first priority of my life, then I have to spend 24 hours a day in church. It's not true. It's not true. Get this principle. Because if you understand this principle, it will revolutionize your life. Worship is not about what you do, worship is about who you do it for. You understand what I'm saying? Worship is not about what you do, worship is about who you do it for. In other words, you can go and you can do laundry i got to do laundry. You take the laundry down, you throw the laundry in the washing machine, you throw it in the dryer. You can do laundry for yourself. You can do laundry for your husband. You can do laundry for your kids. Or you can do laundry for God. And you can say, Lord, today I'm just going to do laundry. But as I do laundry, you know what? I'm doing this for you, Lord. I'm going to use this as a time of just... Worshiping you. I'm gonna put some music on the background. I'm just gonna use this as a time of prayer. You know what? Suddenly it becomes worship. You can be an accountant working in a business. And 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 you can be working for your boss. And you just show up eight o'clock in the morning. Writing all the ledgers down, doing all the calculations, you go for lunch, you come back from lunch, you spend your whole day working for your boss, working for the people who come and pay you. You can do that. Or you can say, you know what, I'm an accountant, but I'm a Christian first. And today, I'm going to be an accountant, but I'm going to be an accountant for Jesus Christ. I'm going to go into my mission field, which God has given me, my accountant office, and I am going to seek to be salt and light where God has placed me. I'm going to be a missionary to the people I work with. And when you go in with that mindset, you go into your office saying, today, I am an accountant for Jesus Christ. Guess what? At that moment your work becomes worship. It's not what you do. It's who you do it for. You can be a butcher. You can be a baker. You can be a candlestick maker. Martin Luther said, a milkmaid can milk cows to the glory of God. And it's true. It's all worship. We tend to compartmentalize our life. I go to church, and that's spiritual. I go to Wednesday night Bible study, and that's spiritual. But then the rest of the week is social, and the rest of the week is vocational, or 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 is, or is That isn't true. All of life is worship. All of life is meant to be spiritual. Romans twelve one. So here's what you do: God helping you take your everyday ordinary life you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. As an offering. Remember, offering is the heart of worship. When the devil tried to tempt Jesus, what was the greatest temptation he used? If, if, he, if he could have thought of anything else, he would have said it. He said, Jesus, worship me. Instead of God. It's the greatest temptation that the devil had to throw against Jesus. And it is the greatest temptation he still uses today. To get your attention off God. To get your focus off God. To get your affection off God. Because the devil knows if he can divert your attention, then he has you. If he can divert your affection, if you start loving a person, or a thing, or a vocation, or an education, whatever it is in life, if you worship that thing, if you love that thing, your affection is on that thing more than God, then He has you. Abusing your abilities, spending all your time and all your energy working at things, instead of focusing and using your life as a gift from God, then He has you. The Westminster Confession of Faith says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I pray that would be our confession as well. That we would love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. That is the first priority of the church. It is the first priority of our lives as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we just come before You this morning recognizing, Lord, that so often we have failed to worship You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we have failed in giving You everything that we have and offering You all that we are. That we have compartmentalized our lives. That we have settled for second best. That we have given you the leftovers. That, Father, we have thought, we have dwelt, we have focused our minds on other things. But, Father, this day we want to get back to the basics. We want to remember again why it was you created us. You created us to love us. And loving you back is our first priority. The first and the greatest of the commandments. And so, Father, today, if nothing else, Father, if nothing else, if at the end of today we say simply, even though our plans fell apart, even though other things happened, that if we can say at the end of today that we've gotten to know you a little more, that we've gotten to love you a little deeper, then, Father, today would have been a success. Help us, Father, to be able to say that today. Help us be able to say, Lord, we've gotten to know you a little more. And we've grown to love you a little deeper. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.